0: So would you hear now the reading of God's word this morning from Psalm 104? Um, It's a longer psalm this morning, so we do not have it on the screen for you to follow. So I encourage you either to follow along in the Pew Bible or to just close your eyes and receive God's word uh, directly into your heart this morning. Psalm
1: 104. This is the word of the Lord, Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heaven dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork, has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are, for a, are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable living things both small and great. There go the ships, the Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed. I think I missed a page. Hold on. Give me a second. Yeah, hold on. Let me go back for a second. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. And let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. So there's a picture on the screen. You can go straight to Kevin. There it is. This is a pale blue dot. And um, this was taken by Voyager 1 space probe in 1990 from a distance of about 6 billion kilometers as it was leaving our solar system. And it um, the astronomer Carl Sagan has this to say about this photo. He says, Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives the aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor, explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, Every supreme leader, every saint, every sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes, settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the earth is where we make our stand That's where we live, that tiny pale blue dot. And so Carl Sagan is trying to make sense of us living out our life on this tiny pale blue dot. And it's interesting to read Carl Sagan right in conjunction with Psalm 104. Because Psalm 104 um, has, has a pretty grand view of this tiny blue dot that we live on and this existence we have. And so from... From Psalm 104 today, I'm going to give you just a couple of of comments. Uh, We're going to look at a few things. Uh, You could kind of, I'm going to do this in one, twos, and threes. So first, there's one big assumption that Psalm 104 makes. There's two big moves that change everything. And then there's three traps that we kind of fall into that Psalm 104 leads us into. So one grand assumption, two moves that change everything. Three big traps. You ready? Here we go. Number one, one big grand assumption that this psalm makes is that God is the creator of everything. You see here, he's not, Psalm 104, the author is not trying to prove that. He's not trying to build an argument. He's not laying out propositions or, or, um, or reasons why this is a credible, reasonable thing. He's just assuming I mean, he says it right from the very beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. So he assumes greatness. And if you look down to verse 24. So I did give you in your bulletin some select readings from this. And so these are going to be kind of the verses I'm going to be referring to. So you can find these on your bulletin insert. So verse 24, he says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. So he's assuming here that God is the creator, that the world we live in, the earth that we're on, the universe that is around us, it didn't just accidentally happen, that there's a creator, an intelligent designer behind all of it. And I, I know that's a pretty big assumption. Um, and you know, we're sitting in this room, of this church building of about 50 people this morning, people who have chosen to come to a church on a Sunday morning. So I'm assuming you're probably, you know, thinking that Psalm 104 is correct, that there is a creator. So I, I know for you, that's probably an assumption you're making as well. But we also we're live streaming this to anyone who can watch this on YouTube. And I don't know necessarily who's watching this. And maybe that's a really big assumption for you who are watching this from a distance. Or if you find this on podcast 10 years from now, And you're investigating faith for the first time, you know, we put on our sign outside the church. We're a church for curious people, which means there's some people that have real big questions about science and creation and origins of all things. But for the sake of our sermon here this morning, we're going with the assumption that God is the creator. And just gonna allow ourselves to be staggered by that this morning. What do you think of creation? Do you believe in a creator? What do you think about science and evolution and the universe and all those things? This Psalm is making the grand assumption that right from the beginning, God is the creator of everything. And this matters immensely to the whole of Christian theology and to how we live out our days. Without setting this question of the origin of all things in its proper place, all other Christian theology falls apart. You know, so one philosopher says that in order to have a worldview, you have to have an answer to four primary questions. The question of origin, how did things begin? The question of morality, what is right and wrong? The question of meaning, what's the purpose of living on this tiny pale blue dot? And four, destiny, what happens next? Origin, meaning, morality, destiny. A worldview is one that can answer those four questions coherently and with consistency. And the Christian faith provides answers to those four questions pretty well. But you can't understand meaning, morality, and destiny without making an assumption about origin first. And the Bible makes it clear that God is the creator. But as we're making this one big assumption... Uh, with Psalm 104, it's interesting that this psalm writer, he just chooses to speak from the heart first. You know, before getting into arguments, which he doesn't really do much of in this psalm, he really just speaks passionately from his own heart. It's like he's looking at something beautiful in the world and then is just gushing his heart out onto a piece of paper. So maybe he's looking at a beautiful tree, or maybe he's looking at, you know, the beautiful Mediterranean Sea, Or maybe he's he's looking even at at just the petals of a flower in a field. But he starts by saying, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. He's personalizing the grand creator who he's assuming made everything. He's personalizing it to himself. He says, Lord, you're blessing my soul and I want to bless you because of how I am feeling towards seeing your creation here, He is mine, is what He's saying. But He's also saying that you are clothed with majesty and splendor. So the King Creator, the one who is in, the one who is enthroned and who is clothed with splendor, is also His personal Creator. And so it's just a beautiful beginning to this psalm. But like I said, verse twenty-four, He does begin to, you know, kind of make a more uh, knowledge-based argument for creation. And he points, he points to God's wisdom in creating everything. You know, he's looking at the vastness of creation. And he's saying in wisdom, you created them all. I mean, have you looked at some of the animals that that exist? You know, we have young kids, so we like to you know, open up National Geographic magazine or more truthfully, National Geographic on Disney Plus, which has them moving Um, But there's just a lot of amazing creatures that are out there. And I I was even telling my kids this week, because we spent a little bit of time at the ocean this week, and they were asking about where do sharks live? These are the kind of questions I get these days. Um, But we started talking about how there's there's so many parts of the ocean that aren't even explored yet, that haven't even been touched. And so there's probably sea creatures that we don't even know about yet. And as you know, the deeper you go into the ocean, the more... Creative these creatures look. And in wisdom, God created them all. And so this writer in Psalm 104 is just blown away by how manifold are your works. How the word manifold there means how multiplicitous. I mean, they just, they add up. They just seem to never end. Your works are just multiplying in their beauty. He can't count them all because creation is so huge. So that's the one big assumption. God is the creator. I invite you to to be astonished by creation again. Just take a look outside at some point today or take a look at one another today and say, wow, what an amazing, beautiful artist we have who created all things. Number two, there are two big moves that this Psalm talks about that change everything. The first one is around the idea of choice. And the second one is around the idea of heart. And they both have to do with God. If God is the creator, then God has a choice that he made from the beginning, which is I can either live and exist by myself, Or even at a distance from my creation, or I can live and exist in close proximity and an ever increasing movement towards my creation. And what this psalm beautifully shows us, really primarily in verses 28 through 30, is that God chose from the beginning to move towards you and I and his entire creation. He did not keep himself at a distance. He did not remove himself from our day-to-day life, but he chose to move towards us. And I, I want to invite us to, again, realize that that didn't have to be the case. God could have chosen to be totally separated from us and say, okay, good luck. But God, in his mercy and in his love, moves toward us. And that changes everything. I mean, Genesis 1, God creates everything. And then, as you know, two chapters later, humanity rebels and runs away from God, thinking that we can do our own thing. And it's at that moment that God had a chance again to move away from us or to end the whole creation project. But again, he moved towards Adam and Eve in their sin. He came looking for them in the garden when they were hiding from him. And God chose to move towards us. You know, C.S. Lewis, who I love to quote because he's got great quotable things that are easy to use. C.S. Lewis says, God continues to have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him. I mean, I, I resonate with that. It's, every day it feels like we have choice after choice of things that we could choose to go after other than him. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that I continue to choose a lot of those things. But God continues to want to have us, even though we prove to him over and over that actually our sinful heart prefers other things. We are prone to wander, yet God continues to move towards us. So that's his choice. The second move that God makes is in his heart. It's intimately connected to the choice. But God's heart towards us is for our good. It's for our good. I think one verse that stuck out to me among all the 35 in chapter 104, the one that just I continually came back to all week was verse 28. Verse 28 says, when you give it to them, when you give food to the creation, it says they gather it up. But this is the part that I've just had on my heart all week. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. Filled with good things. When God opens his hand to us to give us something, it's filled with good things. God's heart moves towards us in goodness. And again, it's always been that way. From Genesis 1 to the very end of the Bible, God's heart intention towards his creation has been goodness not to condemn it, not to curse it, not to judge it. You know, there's a narrative out there in the world that the Old Testament God is an evil, wicked, vengeful God who's against humanity and he's just looking to punish and kill people. And that's the narrative that the, that the watching world loves to use against the church to show that the New Testament God and the Old Testament God are different and therefore the Bible's not credible. But it's just not the case at all. In spite of what the narrative is about the Old Testament God, the Old Testament God, Yahweh, who is still the same as Jesus, the same as the Holy Spirit, the same Father that you and I worship today, he continued to move towards Israel forgiving them countless time after countless time, giving them opportunity after opportunity to be faithful to him. And in spite of their continual sin and the judgment that would incur because of their own sin, and the justice of God that would allow them to be taken over because of their sin, God's heart towards Israel was continually good. And he showed that over and over and over until it crescendos in the New Testament at the coming of Jesus, the flesh of God. God made flesh in the person of Jesus. But God's movement towards us has always been for our good. Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good. For those who love him, They're called according to his purpose. That is God's heart towards us. And his movement of goodness towards us brings us our very life. You know, verse 30, it says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Verse 29 says, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die. But God moves towards us to give us his spirit, to give us life. But we often we often seem to miss to miss that goodness in the midst of the hardships of life, in the midst of living in a sinful world. And so, you know, I want to read something from Charles Spurgeon kind of as a ramp into the three the three things I'm going to mention next. But first, Spurgeon says, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken and when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. And so if, those, if God's heart is, is for our good, why do we miss it? And so these are the three, the three traps that we find ourselves falling into as humans. The three traps from Psalm 104 are busyness, productivity, and independence. First, busyness. Let me tell you a story. There's a, um, a student who was at a university, and he was trying to find the quickest way to graduate from his college. And so he approached the president of the university, and he said, is there any way I can take a class that is shorter so that I don't have to take the long version of the class? And the president replied, oh, yes. He said, that's definitely possible. He says, but just first consider what do you want to be? And so he said, the president continues on. He says, when God wants to make an oak tree, it takes him 100 years to go from seed to a full-grown oak tree. But when God wants to make a squash, it takes about six months. So he basically said, do you want to be an oak tree or do you want to be a squash? And for us in our modern world today, we are prone to fall into the trap of busyness, quickness, getting things accomplished in a fast, breakneck way. We live in a frenetic world. You know, verse 14, verse 14 says it's God who causes the grass to grow for the livestock. You know, it's not man that's standing there saying, Grow faster, grass, grow faster. You know, more fertilizer, more seed, more water, grow, grow, grow. It's God that causes it to grow at his timing. And that's hard for us in the modern world to accept sometimes. So instead of living that busy, frenetic life, may we trust in the patience of God, the creator, working, slowing our pace down and saying like what Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. That's part of what I love about coming to this worship service once a week, you get to be here for an hour, to sing, to pray, to listen, to hear God's word, to not be in a big rush. The second trap we fall into, like I mentioned, is being productive. And that's very similar to the busyness thing. You know, we're busy so that we can get more done. Let's get the most out of our 24 hours. You know, one pastor says, he says, Americans are more comfortable with the absurdity of staying busy because it offers the illusion of progress and productivity, two of the Western world's greatest idols. You know, we live with this a constant plague to make something of our lives or to make make something of ourselves, to accomplish something, to, to invent something new. How can I do more with my little time? But God God instead invites us to be a humble joy-filled cultivator of his creation. You know, verse 15, like I, or verse 14, like I said earlier, God causes the grass to grow and the plants for man to cultivate. You see that? So he gives the grass, he gives the plants, but it's man's joy, our humble call to cultivate the creation that God has gifted us. Again, we live on this earth not to Not to spoil it, but to cultivate it. That was Adam's original call in the garden. To work the garden and to keep it. Not just to make more and more and more, but to cultivate God's good stuff. To to bring about the fruit of the world. The last trap we tend to fall into, which this is timely, being um, Independence Day, we're going to celebrate in two days. Which independence from from a... uh, an American perspective of being free from tyranny is a beautiful thing. But independence, in the sense of being independent from God or our need from God and depending on Him, that's a trap we fall into, of convincing ourselves that we can actually live our life without God as part of our life. The plague of self sufficiency, of how can I live. On my own, without needing others, or especially without needing God, but instead we're invited in this psalm to the dependence on the life that God, the Creator, is gifting to us. You know, Second Corinthians three said, "Where the Lord is, the Spirit is, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty." And so I think Alan mentioned to me one time, you've been to a church that on 4th of July weekend celebrates Dependence Day where we, 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 we once again confess our dependence on God because he is our creator while also celebrating the independence we've been given as a nation here. But these three things, these three traps show us that we live in a world that kind of guides us away from God, the creator, you know, and one person says, if you go against the grain of the universe, you'll get splinters. And so we wonder why we feel splinters sometimes. It's because we live oftentimes against the grain of how God, the creator, set up the world to be. So just to finish, as we, as we lead into the Lord's Supper in just a moment, you know, we, we finish with verse 30 and following. Which verse 30 invites us into this reality of God being the renewer. God is in the process of renewing all of creation. And he began that work through the person of Jesus Christ, through the one who came as God in the flesh to live the life that we could not live ourselves, to die the death that we deserved, to rise from the dead on the third day, to defeat sin and death forever so that the world could be renewed and brought back to him. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Jesus is in the process of recreating not only the planet and the universe, but you and I from the inside out, from our soul. Jesus came that, he, that we may have life and have it overflowing. So we might experience life in the creation that we were always meant to experience. You know, Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He actually is the creator himself who has shown us the fullness of life in the way that he lived. And if you read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I invite you the next time you read through the gospel stories to not only see what Jesus teaches and to listen to his parables and to hear his rich theology that he's teaching people, but also to see how he's renewing creation through the healings and the miracles and the works that he's doing. So just to give you one example, um, in John chapter nine, Jesus encounters a blind man who's been blind from birth. And Jesus chooses to focus in on this blind man and he picks up dirt from the ground The very dirt that Jesus created himself at the beginning of all time, he picks up the dirt, he spits in it to make it mud, rubs it over the man's eyes, and the man sees. From the earth, from the creation, he makes the blind to see. You know, and from there, the Pharisees have a really hard time reconciling what they just saw happen. They said, this can't be the case. Something must have happened. Differently, He must be a heretic. But Jesus is just creating things new. He's renewing the ground. He's renewing humans. He's renewing life. Jesus Christ gave his life for us. So as the front of your bulletin says this morning, it's a quote from this um, theologian. He says, in creation, God shows us his hand. In redemption, he gives us his very heart that goodness that we talked about earlier that is gifted to us through faith in Jesus Christ and by loving him. So we're going to have a chance to enjoy some of God's creation today in a couple of ways. First, through the Lord's Supper, through the bread and the cup, and then through our church picnic afterward, through being with one another, maybe being even outside if the weather cooperates. But I invite you to receive the gift of the creator as we spend time with one another as his creation. So let me pray for us. And then um, we're gonna sing a song of worship as we uh, take the Lord's Supper together. But let me pray for us first as we transition. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of creation itself, which points to the glory of your name. and ultimately points us to, to the Son of God, Jesus, who came in the flesh, to renew all things. So our, our fullness of ourself from the soul all the way to the, the corners of the galaxy would be renewed and we'd be brought back into right relationship with you. So as we approach the Lord's Supper at this moment, uh, we pray that you would speak to our heart that as we take the bread and the cup, we would be reminded of what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.